Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, one of us had to bring up the topic of gels, and it was you. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, although I was living on the outskirts of London, there were a lot of bushes around, which was a bit of a lifesaver. <laughs> oh. Running with Jake, the podcast, because every runner needs the occasional plot, and here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome back to Running With Jake, the podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lowe. I'm your running coach. I'm your motivator. I want to lift your spirits, get you fired up. We are into episode... Drum roll. Episode 30. That is insane, man. Where has time gone? Who thought we'd get here? It's unbelievable. And 30, that's 30 podcasts. We've got all of the quick hits as well. There's about 12... 13, 14 quick hits out as well. Yeah, if you're new around here, by the way, thank you very much for finding us. Don't forget to subscribe on the mobile app, then you're never going to miss one of our episodes. The quick hits are kind of like short, coffee-time, punchy, bite-sized podcasts that we want to give you some great content to help you get the most out of this amazing sport running. This is a really good week, actually. Uh, it's happening uh, 20th of July is when we're recording this. This is out on the 22nd of the July, on the Wednesday, because obviously the podcasts come out every Wednesday. And we're featured on the Podbean app as well, which is great. We're on the front page of Podbean, so we're getting loads of new subscribers and loads of new people listening, which is fabulous. So if this is your first week of listening and you found us on the Podbean app, then thank you. That's absolutely brilliant. Just do us a favour. Just do a little subscribe. Just do a little follow on the Podbean app and then you'll get a notification whenever we do new content and we're getting loads of quick hits out this week. Obviously, if you don't like us, don't forget to unsubscribe because otherwise we're just going to keep turning up on your device. It's going to irritate you and you'll hate us. And we don't want that to happen. Or your doorstep. That could happen. We could Sometimes we just turn up randomly <laughs> on our listeners' doorsteps. It does, it does. happen, the lengths we will it go happens. to. But, yeah, we don't want to irritate people. So maybe set a little reminder on your phone. Just, mm, you know, hey, Siri, remind me to uh, unsubscribe to Rinny with Jake, the podcast. But I'm sure that won't happen because you're going to love the show that we've got lined up for you today. We are speaking to an ex-GB athlete. This is awesome. We're speaking to Joe Wilkinson, who achieved... Two hours and 37 minutes in the London Marathon, wow. uh, which put her in the top 20 female finishers. But you know, one of the most amazing things about Jo that I love when we were chatting to her was spinning all those plates as well. She's got a family and obviously it's very difficult to spin those responsibilities for all of us as recreational runners. But when you're at the top of your game and you're competing and representing your country, that's just insane. And I, do you know what I loved about Jo so much, Pete? She mm. was so open and honest she was she just, yeah she, she you know sometimes these ex-athletes can be a little bit cagey don't want to share training tips or oh, we don't want to get into nutrition strategies you know no i'm not going to talk about when i needed a poo halfway through that race no not <laughs> joe i'm telling you we, we we just put it all out there we put it all out there actually pete this we we, we did have to think about this didn't we because this is a it, it, you obviously if, you, if you're new here you followed us via the, the podbean app thank you this is a relatively longer show than normal isn't it i think it's fair to say and we're a bit unsure we like to not crap on too much we don't like to <laughs> ramble on too much you know we want to keep it fairly punchy but there was such great stuff that we got out of Joe we just thought we had to share it yeah do you know as a producer it's, it's my job to cut things down and I try and get the podcast to about 35-40 minutes long sometimes a little bit shorter but mm. there's no I'm not cutting out Joe's pooing tips or no, anything no, like no, that no, do you no, know no. what I mean there's, there's, there is genuinely so much good content that, that <laughs> I, really wasn't, I wasn't just gonna <laughs> just 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 hack away at it like a lunatic so it is a little bit longer if long isn't your thing then go and check out the quick hits go and check out the other episodes uh, but do us a favour always come back here just put the time aside to listen to this because Joe is absolutely tops I mean of course you've also got the other option of listening to it at 1.5 speed 
or maybe even two speed you know twice the speed if you really want to challenge yourself you could do that you could do that it's been said that we speak too quick as it is so i don't think that's a good thing to do i really don't maybe we just need to slow down your weekly dose of running motivation running with jake the podcast your weekly dose of running motivation out every wednesday never miss an episode by subscribing now Right now we're speaking to Joe Wilkinson. She's a fellow running coach. She's also an ex-GB athlete with a marathon finish time of 2 hours and 37 minutes. Just staggering. And I know I mentioned that before, but let me put that into perspective for you. That is at 6 minute mile pace, which is rapid. And it's equivalent to 4 back-to-back 37 minute 10Ks. And then you just have to carry on going a little bit further. Unbelievable. We've got her on now. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Good, thanks. I uh, did a long one yesterday, so I am having a rest day today, which is really nice. <laughs> Do you know, I, lo- I love it when I speak to proper runners because you say, how are you? And the first thing is, <laughs> well, training's going okay. It's not going It's not going well. I've got an injury. I had a good run. I love it. So it's a rest day today for you. For a treat, I got up and had a shower first thing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's what you need. That's what you need in your life. You know it's going to be a good day if you wake up the first thing is a shower. Well, listen, it's awesome to talk to you on the show. I was really looking forward to getting you on, actually, and and picking your brains on all things running. Obviously, you've achieved some amazing stuff throughout your your career as a a GB runner. Just just some awesome stuff. Obviously, you're a fellow coach as well, so there's loads of stuff I want to tackle here. But of all your achievements, Joe, because you've done a lot, I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying two hours and 30 Seven minutes, 39 seconds for the London Marathon. Is that right? That is right, yes. Uh, For for people listening to this show, just to put this into some kind of perspective, that's six minutes per mile. You heard that right. It is, yeah. Six (laughs) minutes per mile. That's like four (laughs) 37-minute 10Ks and then a little bit more. That's just unreal and you've done some great stuff you know your half marathon one hour 12 and 36 33 minutes for a 10k of all the things that you've achieved throughout your career joe what are you most proud of is it is it obviously one of the 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 pbs or is it something else another event or another race what was the biggest achievement for you uh the biggest achievement for me actually was qualifying for the commonwealth games in 2002 which was in the 10,000 meters which up until the trial race, I'd never actually run on the track. I'd, I'd run track races, but I'd never run a 10,000 on the track. I'd done 10K on the roads. Mm. Um, but my coach and I made a plan to try and qualify for that event because at that time it was going to be the biggest multi-sport event we were going to ever have in the UK. The, the London Olympics weren't even envisaged. And so it was the one to be at. And so we came up with a master plan that instead of trying out for the 1500, which had been my main event, we were going to tackle the 10,000 and I managed to pull it off. Is that your preferred distance, Joe? Did you always enjoy the 10K the most? Um, at heart, I'm actually a 1,500 metre runner. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> but uh, that's that was always been and will always be my best event, favourite event, sorry. Um, but really I was looking at trying to, to get some international success and, and I wasn't going to cut it as a 1,500 metre runner. So... It was trying to look at what were the events where I felt I could do the best at. Um, and hence, I moved up to the 10K and then a few years later up to the marathon. Well, and achieved some mega stuff in uh, over that distance as well. Now, for most recreational runners, 
of course, 10K to them in their mind, they just think a road race, you know, hopefully a closed road mm. race and, and, and local 10Ks and stuff. But you making that transition, obviously, to the track, you put a plan in place with your coach. What kind of things did you have to consider? You know, what are the big differences there going from running a, a road 10K to running on the track? How did you make that transition? Uh, the, the biggest difference is it's 25 laps and it's the mental difference. So a lot of people can run really well at 10K on the road, but having to run round a track 25 times just messes with your mind, quite frankly, and you have to find a way to cope with it and actually, ironically, pace it much better on the track than you might do on the road. Um, and so we just, you know, I was very fortunate that my coach was very experienced. He was a coach to Paula Radcliffe, um, who herself was a pretty phenomenal 10K runner um, and, and another uh, top runner as well, Liz Yelling. And so they gave me lots of advice. So one of the key things was don't look at the lap counter. Do not ever contemplate that number 25. You've got to just run round and round and then only look at it when it says less than 10. <laughs> and then wow. you can start counting down. But it is, I think it's really the mental side of it is what differentiates between the track and the road. Mm. I mean, when we, when we spoke about you coming on the on the show, I mentioned to you that we're, we're big on it, big into the mental side of training. You know, why does why does somebody want to achieve anything in life? You know, why do recreational runners want to put themselves through uh, wet and miserable weather on a Sunday morning to go and run eighteen miles to then lead themselves to the London Marathon or Manchester or whatever it might be? You know, it's all a bit of a head game, and and then when mm. the going gets tough, it's how we overcome those doubts and fears and anxieties. And because of your level, I think it was so great for people to get a handle on on the emotions that you experience and the challenges you experience at the level that you were you were running at so for you on the track then you, what you're saying is you're effectively trying to break down the goal rather than view it as this is x amount of laps you're trying to make those sort of bite-sized manageable chunks and break yeah. it down is that what you mean yeah absolutely i mean for me for that race an elite race you have clocks on every corner of the track every 100 meters and so for that race in particular for what i needed to achieve i was literally running clock to clock 20 seconds to each clock which is quite wow. easy for the maths as well i find maths you know i'm a bit of a i'm a geek in many ways but um you can add up 20s really nice and easily in your mind which fills the time between the next clock yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I, I get that. I get that. You know, some people are saying, oh, Jake, you know, you're in the, the don't run. Oh, you do these marathons or whatever. Ha, don't you get bored? I'm like, man, I haven't got time to get bored. No. I'm just thinking about everything <laughs> all the time, aren't you? It's, it's mad. So are you are you naturally, would you say you're naturally somebody that's pretty mentally resilient, Joe? Or have you had to work at that over time? I mean, obviously your background was 1,500 metres and you achieved some amazing stuff as a, as a young girl. But is that something you've had to really work on or does it come easy to you? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think, to be honest, I, I did have determination. And now as a coach and, and also a parent, you know, you see young people and, and there is, you, it's very hard to coach a certain level of focus and determination into people. I think it has to come from within them. Um, but I think you can also work on it and refine your skills and make yourself better at it. So I think it's a little bit of, it is that kind of inherent talent, but also hard work and practice. Um but it's been something I've, I've you know, I'm, I'm very interested in psychology and, and how the mind works. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that particularly I'm very good at boring things that require a lot of focus. And so there was a period when I was injured and was doing a lot of aqua jogging in a very small pool that was probably five metres by five metres. It is possibly the most boring activity you can do. But I used to think to myself, if I can get through this, 
I can run anything on the track because even the track will be more interesting than going round and round this miniature pool. So, sure. you know, it's something you work on over time. Do you have some kind of go-to methods, if, you, if I can ask you that and if you're willing to share, that you use to overcome the dark times when you are competing because you must have had some I mean you've, the, the things that you have achieved you must have gone through those uh, stages of the race where you think man this is you, the, the going's getting tough now how do yeah, you break through I, that I think, you, I think everybody does I think nobody has one race particularly the longer the race is the more time you have to think I've had this argument with sprinters and say but you it only lasts 10 seconds or a minute <laughs> you know there's not much time to think in that it's so <laughs> Whereas, true you know if your run lasts 30 minutes or two and a half hours or five hours, depending on what your time is for the marathon. That's a lot of time to get distracted by thinking and you can get into very negative thinking. So it's very much trying to stop those negative thoughts before they start. So really a lot of self-awareness and kind of almost like self-checking. And then, you know, I, I say to people, there's this kind of, it doesn't matter what works for you and it's a combination, but it, it's, a, it's a mix of bribery, corruption, threats, <laughs> lie to yourself whatever you want you know what will keep you going um at that point when it gets hard and then just you know and and trying to think about the end goal so I often feel you know sometimes you learn more from the bad runs so that feeling when you've crossed the line and you know you know for the rest of the day you think I just I know I gave up it was you know I just didn't carry on and yet here I am now feeling okay and I often one of my big things is I kind of say to people almost right take that feeling and then put it in a box marked motivation put it on a shelf forget about it the next time you come round to a race take it down have a peek and just remember how horrible that feeling was and you know hold that inside you as well that's one of my big things that I get to that point and I think if I give up now I'm going to have that feeling again and I really don't want that feeling of, of disappointment so push on that's kind of one thing and then other things it's about, I said to you about the maths, I'm a great counter. I'm always counting and working out times and average pace. That's my distraction. And then it's a combination of, you know, visualisation as well. So just breaking it down. Sometimes it might be, oh, you've only got to run to mentally what would be the end of your road or mentally you're running down that last street before you get home or conversely in training it might be right this end of this rep is really horrible but this is like running down the mall at the end of London you know if you can just run down the mall in training <laughs> you know you can do it so it's, it's kind of there's no one technique I think you just learn a whole you want a, a whole real uh, kind of combination of different things that work for you at different times yeah, I, I totally get that, actually. I, I think that's ace, Joe. And, and there is no kind of one thing that, that, that suits all. We had a, a sport and exercise psychologist on the show recently, and he was saying exactly that, you know, that different things work for different people and different personality types. And, and what you picked up on there, what you touched on, which drawing off your own experiences, be it good and bad, how do you want to use those? If they're good experiences, then then box it, and, and you can tap into it when you need it to get that feel-good boost that you need. Subsequently, if you've had a bad experience, well, box that because you might need to draw on that at some point to get mm. you through the dark times and say, I don't want to feel like that again. <laughs> you know, if I, if I sort of cast my mind back to uh, London 2010, which I, I know uh, you ran in that as well, and that was sort of my best marathon. And I remember all the races before that, Joe, I'd always slowed down. You know, the classic positive split, setting mm. off a little bit too quick and burning out. And I was just waiting to, I didn't want that to happen again. So I was waiting for that feeling where I was going to get really tough. And I was almost embracing it, waiting for it because I kept saying, am I 
last sort of mantra was finish strong, finish strong, because I, I was drawing on the experience of sort of past races and past events. Do you have a mantra that you kind of, you know, a lot of people do use these mantras, don't they? Is, it, is there one that kind of works for you that you uh, pick up on or does it just vary depending on the race and the situation? I think it varies, but also I'm, I'm a great believer in talk to everybody and listen to what they say. And so I've been very fortunate to meet some really good runners, some top runners in my time. And, and sometimes things they say really resonate with you. So in terms of the marathon, I was very fortunate to meet Paul Evans, who was a phenomenal runner in his youth. And I remember him talking about, um, I, can't, I can't remember which particular big city marathon it was. And he said, oh, I remember setting off and thinking, you know, he'd been arguing for a much faster pacemaker and the, the organisers had said, no, no, this is the pace, that's it. And he was well off the pace, feeling terrible. And then he ended up coming through and winning the race. And he said, you have to remember the marathon is like a roller coaster. So you might be down at one moment, but very soon you're going to be up again. And when you're up, you might be down again, but you will come up again. And that was the thing that was in my mind when I was doing the marathon the first time was thinking, you know, it's like a roller coaster. It doesn't matter if I'm feeling bad now because I'm going to come up and feel good later on. So that was my my kind of marathon um thing that stuck with me after I heard him say that and, and certainly got me through quite a few of my marathons. I guess it's part of the process, isn't it? You know, riding the highs and the lows. And as you mm. mentioned, comparing sort of distance running to, to sprinting, you haven't got time to think, have you? I'm not a sprinter and I've never done anything like that. I think I did the egg and spoon race once when I was 11. <laughs> I came second. I actually did use BluTac to stick the egg. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But there was something the point came is, up I think... on my uh, Facebook <laughs> memories around parents races at school sports day and I'm always a disappointment to my children because I cannot sprint <laughs> so I always come last <laughs> yeah. can we just keep going instead can we just keep running I know every year I'm like can we do a marathon <laughs> gosh I want to get into London 2009 if I can yeah uh, how confident were you going into London you obviously I imagine had a lofty target um, how confident were you that you were going to achieve it? How had training gone? Where was your mind? Um, oh my God, it was just the worst training. Hit me with it. Let's hear it. I want to know. I want to know. It was terrible. So, um, yeah, it hadn't gone well. Well, I mean, it had gone well, but it had been very interrupted. It was a big part of my life is, is that my husband's in the military and he was in Afghan. Uh, no, he wasn't. He was in Iraq for a six-month okay. deployment. So he was away for six months, um, up until six weeks before the marathon. And we had a three-year-old son at that time. So all of my training, all of my life with children, my training has always been around begging, stealing, borrowing favours of people so that I can run, so that they can look after my son, so I can get out and run. It's always juggling. Everything is about juggling. And sure. obviously he was away. I was working at that time for England Athletics, who were the governing body in Birmingham whilst living, I was living in London. So there were a lot of long days commuting up there and back. Um, my poor son was like staying overnight at the child miners and things. So this was all, it was just trying to fit training in as and when I could. Uh, I had a really bad, in the December, I had a really terrible antibiotic resistant cough, uh, which took several weeks off training. And then I came back and then my son got chicken pox. And obviously if they have chicken pox, nobody can look after them. Um, so I was just stuck at home. I have a huge elliptical cross trainer, which I do a lot of additional kind of training on. So I, instead of, I couldn't get out to run anywhere because obviously I had my son, no one could look after him because of these chicken pox. 
Um, and also he wasn't sleeping because he was so poorly. So I was, you know, had this whole week of training on the cross trainer. That was in kind of January. And then you think, okay, right, I'm back on it now. That's great. And then uh, got f- three weeks before, got food poisoning and couldn't eat or drink anything. And I remember saying to my coach, oh God, if I can't <laughs> eat anything after three days, I'm going to... Gosh. I'm going to have to knock it on the head, you know, because you've got to be able to eat to be able to train. So it just felt like one interrupted thing after another. Um, But in some ways, I think that distracted me from the whole, this is my debut marathon, because I was so busy managing all these practical things. And then David came back from from deployment. So that's always a bit, um, you know, you're getting used to seeing each other again because you haven't seen each other for six months. Um, And I think I just sort of got to the hotel the, the, the elite athletes was very fortunate to be put up in a hotel and I think I got there and it was just such a lovely rest <laughs> for a few days before it started but having said that there were some great runs that I did it was my first real it was my first marathon first time I'd really done longer runs despite all these interruptions and things it had gone actually quite well and I'd got a good consistent bulk having the cross trainer made a huge amount of difference because it meant I, it did take some of that pressure off in terms of being able to train whilst managing childcare. Um, and so, yeah, it had kind of all come together in the February, really. Uh, and, and then I'd had a couple of good weeks of really good running, a couple of really great long runs. And I really enjoyed those long runs, actually. I think the longest I got up to at that time was 23 miles. Um, and it's gone quite well. My main challenge actually was another lovely practical one for marathon runners, managing to keep gels in after mm. I'd had them. <laughs> so unglamorous marathon running. One of uh, us had to bring up the topic of gels. It was it was going to be one of us and it was you. <laughs> it's got to yeah, be it done. It's got to be done. Was a, fortunately, although I was living on the outskirts of London, there were a lot of bushes around, which was a bit of a lifesaver. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can I ask you what you um, what, what sort of your nutrition strategy was for that for that race, Joe? Did did you um, rely purely on gels, and were you on distance or time, and how did it work for you? So um, my strategy was start your nutrition early. I think a lot of people start too late in the race, and by that time they've already got massively into um, you know massively into kind of depletion of, of energy stores. So we it was very much mileage based, um, and it was five miles had the first gel sorry seven miles um first gel after seven miles and then one every five miles after that and as and sipping water regularly if I could um that one I was I didn't have special drinks so I had to take all my stuff with me much like everybody else has to um sure um you know you have to take it with you at the start apart from the obviously the water you can get on the course uh and I have to be honest because I've had this problem with the gels I had to take some Imodium as well. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah, one yeah. that when they're running, do they? Well, do you know what? It's funny, isn't it? I don't know about your runners, Joe, but you, it's that real kind of taboo subject. And then when somebody mentions it, everybody goes, oh, that happens to me. Wow, I can't believe it. Yeah, I have to yeah. sort of pop the Imodium or I whatever. Mean, I, you know, I remember phoning up Liz Yelling, who, who went to two Olympics running the yeah, marathon, yeah. and was saying to her, oh, God, Liz, these gels, they go in and they come out, and I don't know what to do. And she was one who said to me, you're going to have to have Imodium. You know, if you re- if they're really not staying in, they're not doing you any good. So, and this was sort of quite late in training, which is why now with my runners, I would say to them, start with your nutrition early. Even though you don't actually need it in the distance of running you're doing, you need to see what's going to happen when you put stuff in. Is it going to stay in there, quite frankly? Um, and the earlier you know that, the more you can experiment with different things. But because it was a first marathon, I hadn't really 
realised that and so started with the gels quite late and obviously realised I had this terrible problem where they were going in and coming out mm-hmm. um, very quickly. <laughs> but fortunately, Liz said to me, you know, look, just take the emodium. Everybody does it. Don't worry about it. Um, and that was sufficient to kind of get me through both those final few long runs and thankfully the race on the day as well. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because we, we want to use gels because they're convenient, they're quick, they're easy to carry if you're having to carry them yourself, obviously the recreational runners will. But, I mean, we had a nutritionist on the show recently and she was talking about, you know, this subject obviously came up and the concentration of these gels for them to get that carbohydrate amount into that small packet is such that it can play uh, havoc with your sort of GI system and whatnot. And yeah. y- your body doesn't function as well, uh, as we all know, at mile 20 as it did at mile five because <laughs> it's under a great deal of physical stress. So it is very difficult. What do you use for your normal sort of training runs? You know, if you're doing some long stuff and I see you're running uh, a bit of off-road on your Instagram page and stuff, what, what do you tend to use? Gels or some thing um, an I just stick with gels to be honest because Do you? yeah it's the convenience of them mm. and uh, <laughs> I'm kind of I'm quite lazy in that they are I don't like them um at all but um they are easy and so I yeah you know, they, they tend to be what I take going back to uh, 2009 in hindsight would you have done something different for, from a nutritional strategy perspective or do you feel that actually it worked as well as it could have worked for you on that day no I, I it worked well actually I think, yeah, I think we, I got it right. I got a good formula and, and um, it worked well. The only thing I changed later, so after that, I then got um, what they call special drinks. You, you kind of have the tables that are laid out with your You didn't pick up the wrong drink like Mo, did you? I mean, come yeah, on. But I we, hope you- yeah, you don't <laughs> drop your drink. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> so the thing about these special drinks are actually, which makes me laugh about Mo because you know he should have known better is you actually choose which table so sort of it literally the night before you go in and you sign up um for a table and a spot on that table so you know which table you're going to be and which spot your bottle will be on the table and that will be the same for each table is it like a spin class where you have to get there really early to put your towel over the bike that's my table that's my drink spot you see actually (laughs) the best thing is to turn up late because ideally everybody usually goes for the first or the last table because you don't want to be messing around with one in the middle and fighting people at the drink station sure, um, or the refueling station. And you also, ideally, you want to go for the table that's got the least bottles on it because then you can see yours as you come in. And again, yeah, you haven't got, got a whole load of other people that are coming in. So I used to try, I used to sign up late so I could see if mm. there were people that were, which a lot of them, let's face it, were faster than me. I might go for their table because then they would have gone through and picked up their drinks already and I'd have a clear run at my table to pick up the bottle. That so, makes um, perfect sense. Yeah, I like it. You should have gone <laughs> for like a Dora the Explorer, you know, like a bright pink uh, bottle. That'd have been really easy to spot when you're well, under pressure. Well, to be honest, that's, what, that's what we used to do. So that was another tip I picked up from Paula and Liz. Um, make your bottles really noticeable, you know, stick a flag on them. Or So um, for the European Championships, I took these straws and little bits of paper and coloured tape so that I could stick little flags on top of mine. And it always made me laugh because a lot of the Japanese ladies that ran, they would um, have kind of like really ornate handles with flowers and things on their (laughs) bottles. So they were very, very distinctive. So that as you come in, you can see, I mean, obviously you know which table it should be on and you know where it should be on that table, but you can also see it as you approach it. And therefore you're minimising the time that it takes to stop and pick up your bottle. But going back to what you said was, did I change something? What I changed was because I had special drinks and also because I was running the uh, European Championship in Barcelona, 
at midday when it's 30 degrees in August, I changed to electrolytes mix in the bottles as well because I realised I had a big problem with just sweating too much. I sweat like a monster and I was just losing too much fluids and water wasn't enough. You know, I needed some electrolytes as well to stop myself getting into that state where you're, you're just yeah really depleted in everything and, and obviously they're going to start running slowly so that was the only thing that really changed a lot of recreational runners can take something from this because it's really nice to get an insight into kind of running at an elite level and considering all little tiny aspects of choosing the drinks table and where you position your bottle you don't want to leave anything to chance and i'm sure you the, the runners that you help i'm sure when you're coaching them you advise them to do the same stuff control the controllables you know don't leave yeah. everything to chance they may not be achieving looking at targeting times that you were but they still have their own ambitions and goals and and i think sometimes just people rocking up at races and kind of let's see what happens fine if you're really relaxed and actually you're doing it for fun and and there is no real goal attached to it in terms of time but if you're really looking at maximizing your performance you've got to look at those things haven't you and as you said earlier about testing your nutrition in training is massively important just staying on the subject of nutrition for a short while if i can joe what 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 did you tend to do before day before marathons were you somebody that kind of ate late into the evening would you try and get most of your uh, fuel earlier on the let's say saturday if it was a sunday race how did it work you've got to eat well throughout the whole of your training (laughs) that's always my first thing that I say to people don't think because marathon runners are all skinny people that they don't eat much they actually eat like hippos and and I do want that one day I'll suddenly the amount I eat will suddenly transform itself (laughs) into how I look (laughs) and overnight you'll be like wow but so you've got to eat well you've got to eat huge amounts regularly throughout the day every day throughout all your training Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do the training that you want to do. You will end up injured or ill. So do not go into this thinking, oh, this is going to be a marvellous way to lose weight because you have to eat. Um, And so that kind of follows through into that final week as well. I mean, again, it's no good not eating well throughout the week and then eating well the day before. You know, that's the same as not doing a run and then doing a 20 mile run the week before and thinking that will get you through. It's the same thing. You've got to build up. You've got to maintain good, consistent energy stores. So eating regularly, a good, healthy diet, you know, (laughs) it's 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 really relevant for everything quite frankly um a good mix of carbohydrate a bit of protein um and eating regularly throughout the day so i would eat breakfast lunch and dinner like everybody else but then i would eat a mid-morning snack i would eat a mid-afternoon snack i'll probably have something before i go to bed as well um you know eating throughout that whole week making sure it because often you find your appetite, my appetite would almost kind of drop off because you're tapering down and all of a sudden you're not doing the training that you're doing. But it would be a case of, right, I must still keep eating. I must, you know, force it down. Even if you don't feel like it, have an extra Weetabix, have another slice of toast, have a few slices of malt loaf, you know, keep all of that stuff coming in so that you're, say, you're, you're reaching Saturday with good energy stores, not relying on a massive pasta meal Saturday night, because that probably is going to feel a bit rough anyway and then in the morning everybody's kind of in breakfast by about 4 30 in the morning um and you're all sitting there and it's literally trying to force food down because you know you don't need you know you're nervous it's early you don't really feel like it but trying to eat something like you know porridge and toast try and eat as much of that as you can at that kind of 4 30 so sort of four hours before you're due to start um so that again you're just starting with really good energy supplies as much as you can 
How much did you enjoy your training? I mean, obviously you're meticulous looking at every kind of aspect and element, eating well all the time, not just around that race day, that magical race day, but obviously just throughout the sacrifices, you know, from from family life and spinning those plates. How much did you actually enjoy the training? Because I do think there's lots of people that do enjoy training, but I also think there's people that think when they come into running that they should enjoy every single run they ever do. And I don't think that's entirely real, particularly if you really want to push and achieve stuff. Did you generally enjoy training or you was, were you somebody a bit like Usain Bolt who famously doesn't particularly enjoy <laughs> the training, but he, he's focused on that outcome? Where did you sit in that whole thing? Um, I've got to be honest, yesterday I was really moaning about this long run in advance. <laughs> yesterday I was absolutely praying that London would be cancelled. <laughs> oh, you've got to come back on so the I show because you keep it real, time. girl. I love it. Uh, you keep it so real. I bet your runners love working with you. It's ace. <laughs> oh, I mean, you and, and I'm only human, you know. Of course. I, I, I love running and most of the time once I'm out there, I quite enjoy it once I get started. <laughs> But, you know, you have days where you just think, oh, God. For a start, you're knackered. You're like, I'm really knackered. I just don't want to get out and run. Um, And so I would do that mental thing with myself, thinking, oh, just go out and jog around for a bit and see how it goes um, and procrastinate. This was why I think having to fit running into these small packages of time worked well, because you can't mess about. If you've only got an hour and a half to do it, you can't mess about too long. Yeah, crack Um, on. Otherwise, you've missed your slot and then you can't do it and then you're really annoyed because you missed it. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm only human and I just, you know, I have absolute highs and, you know, days where you've smashed out an amazing session and everything's flowing and you feel incredible and then other days where you're just plodding around, the times are appalling, the pace is terrible, it's cold and wet and I hate running in the mornings. <laughs> don't know why i do marathons i'll be honest George. it's funny listening to you like, oh mornings no i'm a morning person all day long i'm completely the opposite in that sense and i, I actually I, i've never really joined a running club i kind of joined a club down here a great bunch of guys but for me it kind of doesn't work like so they, they, they start running just after seven and as much as I, uh, this is 7 p.m and as much as yeah. i want to get involved i'm like oh, man i just i kind of you know i work from home i can i can pick my time when i run so it's really hard to kind of hang around until 7 p.m and then go run <laughs> but hey we're all different aren't we we've got well, to play to say, our strengths this is my advantage I've worked at home for 14 mm. years um, and so I've this is why I've actually tended to do a lot of my training on my own because I could go when it suited me because I you know in the winter when it's dark and you're like oh god it's dark and cold and I really don't want to go out now because I feel like it's really late I could actually go at my ideal times are 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock <laughs> that's when okay. I like to train um, cool. 10 in the morning or 4 in the afternoon then I'm got really you. happy so- Next time we get you on the show, then I'm pleased we're talking now, actually, because it's it's, it's eleven o'clock uh, when we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I'm quite happy because obviously it's a rest day for you, which is good. So it doesn't sort of impact your running or anything. So I'll make a note of that for when we get you back on the show <laughs> in the future. I think your honesty is great because there's going to be people out there if you if you're listening to this show running on your long run right now, no matter what mile you are on, and you're thinking, man, this is a hard slog. Look, it happens. You know, for the best of the best, the elite runners out there, we, we all have those bad days when we're not Mm. really feeling it but you know what you always feel better afterwards don't you you always feel good for that run as long as you don't come back injured of course so it's important 
to focus on that. Do you think there's an impact, Joe, on, on the level that you were at? So in terms of the level you were competing at, do you think that has an impact on potentially your, let's say, enjoyment and motivation to train now? I mean, of course, you know, we're joking here. We know that you are motivated to train and stuff, but you don't love every run, as you just said. Do you think that has an impact because of where you were and how hard you trained previously? Yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, I... I yeah, I, I love running and I love running for the act of running, but I also loved racing. Yeah, I'm a really, I try to pretend I'm a lovely, friendly, smiley person, but really I'm deathly competitive. And if I mm. could smash you into the ground and beat you, I will. Cool, appreciate your honesty. <laughs> Let me just make a note of that. If I can and smash you I into the ground. I can't really do that anymore. <laughs> I'll do that, cool. Not unless Good. you're even more old and knackered than I am. <laughs> And so that slightly depresses me. Um, you know, I, I can't help it. it. You know, it just does. I loved beating people. Um. <laughs> you must get a lot out of giving all your knowledge back and your motivation and dedication. You sound like you're a bit of a taskmaster as well, you know. Look, you've got to eat well all year round, not just race weekend. Uh, but you must get a lot from helping other people through your coaching. You must get something back from that. Yeah, I do. I, and I never expected it to enjoy it, it as much as I did. And for several years, my husband kept saying to me, oh, you should take up coaching. I'd be like, why do I want to take up coaching? I'm doing my own running. And then I just sort of fell into it by chance. Um, I had a friend who, who said, oh, look, there's a, a leading in running, leaders in running fitness course just at the local leisure centre. Why don't you come with me? So I, I went along, thought, oh, this is really interesting, and started a group just for... Uh, women where I live, um, just an introduction to 5k, uh, not not a couch to 5k, there's people who could already run 5k but wanted to run a little bit faster um, and really enjoyed the group and then it, obviously inevitably we moved away um, and then sort of left, I, I sort of kept starting a few groups but we were moving around a lot at that time with my husband's job so every time I started a group it was like a curse because then we would move and I'd leave these people hanging um bye <laughs> <laughs> literally it was like that they'd be like oh this is really great i said yeah unfortunately i'm moving in six weeks never mind <laughs> keep running <laughs> and so that was that and and then um i just managed to injure myself phenomenally badly probably the worst i ever had getting over enthusiastic about possibly doing the london marathon again and just at that time an email dropped into my inbox from british athletics saying we're running a new program for elite athletes to coach so people who've formerly run for great britain trying to get them into coaching in the sport and i thought oh you know why the hell why not i'm not running at the moment so i might as well <laughs> and that was literally my attitude to it you know oh, well, be interesting stop my husband nagging me about it and just <laughs> went along I just loved it and suddenly saw running from this whole new perspective that I'd never really thought about. Um, and it's a bit like becoming a parent yourself. You never really think about your parents, do you, until you become one. And then you suddenly look at them with new eyes and think, wow, yeah. And it was a bit like that with my poor coach. She'd put up with me for all these years and I suddenly thought, oh my God, Alec is amazing. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Joe. This is a bit of an interesting question, coach to coach. What do you find is the most challenging aspect of coaching so you were the athlete you were the one being coached now you've got the shoes on of a coach what what, what challenges do you come up against in terms of the the contrast between the role of being an athlete and being a coach i find the most challenging aspect is the lack of control over the final performance so as a coach 
your role is to do all the preparation, both mental and physical, but then at the de- on the day, there's nothing you can do. And if you've done your job well, that person will go out and deliver the performance that you, that you hoped for. But you personally at that point can do nothing other than sit back and watch and hope for the best. <laughs> and I find that really, oh God, the nerves. I'm smiling as you say this. I can completely relate. And because you want to help people, don't you? you when somebody comes to you with a goal, you want to help them achieve that goal. You want to guarantee that yeah. they will cross the line in in often the finish time that they is usually what they come to us with. And, and of course, it can't be black and white, and it, it's not everything is kind of guaranteed in life. And that is hard, mm. isn't it? I think I can totally relate to that, Joe. I think managing people's expectations is important. Do you do you find that you have to do that sometimes? Do you ever sort of have to have the chat, so to speak? You know, if somebody comes to you and they say, "Well, this is my running history, and this is what I want to achieve," do you sort of have to try and help them? Sh- <laughs> almost reshape that goal a little bit to something that might be a bit more realistic yeah I find with a lot of people it's so being somebody that's been in athletics for a long time I I think um what really frustrates me is this whole perception that you can train for a 10k in eight weeks and you can train for a marathon in 20 weeks well you can train to finish the event in that time But the more you want to get to your best performance, and again, I talk about that, whether that's five hours or or two and a half hours for the marathon, but the closer you want to get to what is your personal capability, the longer that takes to train. And that is not a 20 week thing. So when somebody turns up and says, and you know, my my job is coaching people. So people turn up at Christmas and say, I'm doing London (laughs) in April. And I think, oh God, um, you know, and obviously the more background they have behind them, the the easier it is in some ways. But sometimes you do have to manage people's expectations and say, look, you know, you are not going to turn from that runner into this runner in this period of time. Or alluding to what we were going to talk about in terms of being too fit for your legs, you might do that, but then you're not going to be running the week after because you'll be injured. So I think often it's about managing people's expectations in terms of having a much more long-term perspective, depending on what their goals are. So if you just want to finish, we can do that in much less time. If you want to finish having pushed yourself to your limits or beyond, it's going to take us longer if we want to do it in a way that's quite ethical. I often talk about the cost of of getting fast Mm. the cost of a pb i mean you spoke about some of your sacrifices uh, at the level you were competing at and you you have to make those sacrifice sacrifices there is a cost to it you know you can't just sort of rock up and uh if you're looking at just completing it as you as you touched on and some people are for a 10k then that's absolutely fine and you know because there are so many kind of training plans out there and things that you can just sort of download and of course i'm not knocking them i'm sure you're not as a coach but coaching is different because actually what you want to do is kind of facilitate somebody's journey help them to know when to adapt and how to adapt because you know life isn't a plan we can't well life doesn't follow a plan we can't say well this is going to happen every day every week and it will lead to this point you have to be adaptable so i i do think it's tricky because often these 10k plans are eight and ten weeks so people go cool that's me you never ran never ran before but i'm going to uh, aim at this time in 10 weeks and you know it it can't work like that can it it can't work like that it, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i love it you, you you must come back on the show there was so much we wanted to get into we need like a um, a, a netflix box set series a kind of equivalent <laughs> of the podcast 
and then we can cover all subjects. When are you next running? Rest day today. What, what what's your next run plan before you go? Uh, oh gosh. So because it's because it's lockdown, I've been doing speed sessions with my teenager. Um, so that's tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the subtle reminder. That's tomorrow. Excellent. I'll look out for that uh, that upload on Strava. That should be entertaining. The title of that session. Joe, listen. Have a great rest of the day. Whatever you're up to, keep spreading the running love. Doing a great job. Of course, we'll uh, link uh, all your uh, social profiles to the uh, the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. If you want to go and check out what Joe's up to and follow her, please do that. Uh, have a great rest of the day. Catch up soon. Brilliant. Thank you. You too. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and follow us on social media. This is the part of the show where we take one of your questions to help you get the most out of this amazing sport that is running. And Sarah has messaged wanting to know if I can give her advice on some symptoms of overtraining. She is concerned that maybe she's been doing a little bit too much through 2020 when we're in lockdown and races are not going ahead. So she's been throwing herself into her training with no sort of clear goals on the horizon. And she's starting to feel a little bit fatigued. What are the signs of overtraining? So there's a few things here, Sarah. You've touched on one yourself which is feeling a bit fatigued and fatigued more than normal could be a sign of overtraining if we provide stress to the body the body can't cope with that stress and that results in an adaptation so you get fitter or stronger or you get leaner or you put more muscle on depending on the goal and the stimulus that you provide to the body but if you provide too much stress then you can risk overtraining which can lead to burnout and worse still it can lead to injury so if your sleep is disrupted more than normal you're not sleeping too well loss of appetite could be another sign that you may be overtraining if your performances are suffering so if you're going out there and you typically run let's say 10 30 minutes per mile for a, a kind of a normal easy run and you're finding that actually you're really struggling to 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 hit that pace or you are hitting the pace but actually it's feeling much harder than it normally does that could be another sign that you may be pushing things a little bit too much so there are some real clear indications there and it is about listening to the body if you're finding yourself a little bit more irritable than normal we can all feel a bit like that from time to time again that could be a sign that you might just need to back off a little bit a good way to counter this so is is to really listen to the body first and foremost so you don't reach the point of overtraining but also quite a good practice is to make sure that you put some easy weeks into your training maybe every four five weeks just have a week where you scale back the training a little bit especially at the moment when we don't have any races uh, imminent it just means that you are playing it safe and hopefully avoiding overtraining i hope that helps don't forget if you have a question it's hashtag ask jake that brings us to the end of today's show this has been your weekly dose of running motivation it's been great to have your company i hope you are enjoying the podcast as much as we are enjoying producing them for you don't forget to subscribe using your mobile app have a super rest of the day have a great week and we will see you back here next wednesday for more running madness oh and before i forget i have one more thing to say if you are new to the sport of running do not be too hard on yourself for every winner was once a beginner and every master was once a disaster (laughs) 